This is most certainly true. In the greatest act of selfless mercy, God sent His own Son into our world to die for your sins. And we can't stop talking about it. We now present this sermon, recently delivered at Grace, to you. The Holy Gospel, Matthew's Gospel, chapters 9 and 10. This account is the basis for the sermon today. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and telling and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions, Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go, rather, to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. The gospel of the Lord. He didn't expect it, but when he heard the vroom of the lawnmower start up, he swung his broken leg with cast on closer to where he could prop himself up on his elbow, peek out the window, and sure enough, his neighbor was mowing his lawn. She had gone through two miscarriages and kept wondering Is there something that I did wrong? Is there something wrong with me? Her husband was as caring as anyone could possibly be, but his heart was breaking too. She was then later scrolling through her email inbox and paused over one incoming message, and her eyes watered up. It was a message from her college roommate, not the standard, I know how you feel, but simply a reminder of the loving care of our gracious God, and that just meant so much to her. He had repeated, thanks but no thanks, time and time again when people at the office offered to bring over a meal. 
He realized it was probably a pride thing, but he was trying to demonstrate to everyone that he could make it on his own even though his wife had died of cancer. Although it was true, he really hadn't had a decent meal in weeks. Then one day, stepped out the back door and there was a cooler with an anonymous note. Here are meals for the week. Put them in your freezer pull them out as necessary. Compassion. It doesn't take much. But are we ready to admit, well, okay, I will admit I can get better at that. What will it take for me to have and learn more compassion? What will it take for you? And most importantly, how do we show compassion? Here's what our gospel account has regarding our Savior. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Our compassionate shepherd leads the way and demonstrates that odd jobs for the incapacitated emails that are caring for the hurting and meals for the hungry are wonderful ways to show compassion, but the best, the best way to show compassion is to communicate, to communicate the compassion of Christ. So today we're going to walk through the gospel account that I read for you from the lectern it as the account of Jesus with his disciples, end of chapter 9 in Matthew's Gospel into chapter 10. And if you care to follow along, you certainly may do so. It's printed in the worship folder as you may have followed along earlier on page 8. We're going to track right through this Gospel account. And here's how it starts. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Hey, disciples, take a look at all these people out there. They are empty and lost. They are helpless and lonely. Some of them might think that their life is going great, and you might think that too when you look at them, what with their beamers and high-rise condos, or half-acre, three-garaged homes and bulging portfolios, but they can't find their way to God who is going to share with them and tell them about my forgiving love. I know what we'll do, disciples. Let's pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest field. You can see it, this scene, right? Jesus with his 12 disciples. Let's pray. They get down on their knees. Hands, arms are extended upward toward heaven. And they pray, Heavenly Father, send workers into the harvest field as soon as you can, Heavenly Father. Amen. And Jesus stands up, looks in the eyes of the disciples who are standing there, and says, oh, boys, guess what? The Heavenly Father has already answered your prayer. You're it. 
And then right away, we find out who these guys are. Who is he going to send? Well, we have a listing here in the beginning of chapter 10, as we do in three other places in the New Testament, of the disciples of Jesus. And some of you have heard me talk about them in our Bible classes, but it's worth taking a look. Who are these guys? Simon, the one called Peter, who was always leaping before he looked, always shooting his mouth off. I will never deny you. And then he did. James and John, who clamored for positions of honor and authority in what they thought would be an earthly kingdom of Jesus. Philip, who didn't trust that Jesus could multiply bread and fish to feed a crowd. Thomas, who didn't believe that he rose from the dead. Matthew, who was a dirty, stinking, rotten, traitorous, conniving, betraying tax collector. Simon the Zealot, who had an ammo belt across his camel-colored camel robe with ninja weapons tucked inside so that he could do guerrilla warfare to subvert the government. And of course, there was Judas Iscariot, the only one with potential because he at least had graduated from the University of Jerusalem and passed his CPA exam. These are the guys that Jesus chooses to communicate compassion, his compassion and love for sinners to others. Whom does he choose today? People just like the 12. Rebels whom he has yanked from the dumpster of sin and empowers for service. Jesus chooses sinners like you and like me. He wants sinners like us to communicate his compassion to others. And so he says to us, pray that God will send workers into the harvest field of souls. And then he reminds us that we are part of the answer to that prayer. That's what it means to communicate the compassion of Christ. To whom would they go? Well, we made it up to verses 5 and 6 in chapter 10. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Don't get the wrong impression. Jesus is not encouraging them to be racists. Later on, he made it very clear. Go into all the world and preach the good news to the, everybody, to the whole world. But at the start, they needed a focus. They hadn't yet completed their training, and they certainly yet had not learned to train others to go out to carry Jesus' love around the world. Why not start with people you know? Why not start, Jesus says to them, with people in surroundings and in a culture where you are familiar and where you are comfortable? To whom do we go? Well, the Lord Jesus is not setting up an either-or proposition. Either you communicate the compassion of Jesus to others, or you offer gifts and financial offerings that support others to go in your name. No, he is offering us a both and. He does want us to offer financial gifts to support those who go in our name, but he also wants us to do our own personal communicating. Where do we start? Why not take a tip from the Lord, the Savior himself? 
Start with people you know. Start with those with whom you are comfortable. They know you. They trust you. They like you. They don't think you're weird. So if there are people you know at work or members of the family or neighbors who don't have a close relationship with God, start there. And especially if they're hurting or afraid or lonely or sad or challenged, that's when it's a perfect time for sharing with them the difference that a connection with God through Jesus will make and they won't be mad or offended or sad about that. Jesus sends us first to people we know who don't mind having a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with us about important matters, and that's what it means to communicate the compassion of Christ. So what were these disciples to say? Now we got to verse 7. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus is not talking about someone sitting on a throne or ruling over a piece of real estate. No, his kingdom is not so much a place as an activity. His God's saving activity, his power that goes to work on hearts whenever the good news is communicated. But not just any good news, like lower taxes or a cure for cancer or COVID, but the best good news there could ever be. It is finished. All of your sins are completely wiped out and paid for. That's the good news and what these disciples were to communicate. Can you say that? The kingdom of heaven is near when you run into someone who's scared that they're not good enough to be considered worthy of heaven? When you're talking to teenagers who are tempted to do something that the parents say is wrong, but the temptations are like the sirens of Greek mythology luring sailors to their doom. When the boyfriend cheats, when they're frustrated that bills pile up like the Grand Tetons of Wyoming, when they hear the constant drumbeat of their conscience, you did wrong, you did wrong, you did wrong. Can you say, the kingdom of heaven is near, which is the same as saying, God has wiped all of your sins from his sight thanks to Jesus. He's done that for you. That's what it means to communicate the compassion of Christ. So as these disciples are learning from Jesus, who will go and and to whom they go and what they're going to say, they start wondering to themselves, well, what if people we're talking to don't want to listen to us? Or worse, what if they say, how do you disciples know that you are right? This is the beginning of verse 8. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. He gave them authority to back up their message. Other religious teachers of the day stood in front of the Israelite people and said, follow our instructions. We are scholars. Trust us. We know what we're talking about. I don't know about you, but if I'm listening to guys like that, I'd have a little seed of uncertainty planted in my heart. So if we testify about Jesus to others, 
And if they come back with, how do you know you're right? Well, then what? The Lord Jesus is not going to give you power to raise the dead. He's not going to give you power to work healing miracles like he did the first 12 disciples which they needed because the New Testament wasn't written yet. They were the ones who were going to write it. But you can say, this is what the Lord Almighty says. And you can say that tactfully, lovingly, with authority because you have a source of authority greater than a healing miracle. The Bible. The very words of God. Jesus simply wants us to tell the truth to communicate God's commands that kill and his compassion that brings to life. And if people don't want to listen or even reject what we have to say about Jesus, well, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting God. Jesus simply wants you to say what you know and let the rest to him. That's what it means to communicate the compassion of Christ. So where were these disciples going to get the energy? I mean, why do this communicating and even bother? Why even make the effort? Jesus saves the best for last. This is the last part of verse 8. Freely you have received, freely give. He's telling these disciples, you know what? I'm pouring out my love, my mercy, my forgiveness, which you really need or you're going to end up in hell. I'm pouring that out to you and I'm filling you up with it so much that it's going to overflow from your heart onto your lips, onto the ears of other people and into their hearts. Do you ever receive a really special gift that you treasured and want to take care of only to have some little kid or some visitor break it or wreck it. Oh. Usually if we receive something that's super precious, we want to preserve it, keep it for ourselves. But that's different when it comes to the precious blood of Jesus. God pours that out to us every day so we can pour it out to others. It's sort of like a flower pot that's got holes in it for air. You pour water in it so the soil is enriched, but then eventually that water starts, some of it starts leaking through the air holes and spilling all over the place. God fills you and fills me with his forgiving love every day so we can leak it out all over the place, and then the next day he fills us up some more. That's what it means to communicate the compassion of Christ. So the preacher's in the pulpit, and he says, God wants you to be witnesses for Christ. What's immediately going through your mind? What's your gut reaction? Okay, I can do that. Let's go. Or do waves of guilt crash over the shores of your conscience? Well, I don't know if I can do this talking about Jesus with other people. You know, I'm not that good a witness for Christ. I've had opportunities, but I haven't got the nerve to jump in there and say what I believe to be true. Jesus is not in the business of burdening consciences. In fact, just the opposite. He's in the business of removing guilt from consciences. And so he's not only concerned about the harassed and helpless sheep and has compassion on them, those harassed, helpless sheep out there, he also has compassion on us, the communicators. So when you leave today, you don't have to leave feeling worse than when you came in. Instead, the Lord Jesus 
looks at you, he looks at me, and he says, I know you, but I'm going to take you just as you are. I'm going to fill you with my love. I'm going to erase all of your failures and sins from God's sight, and I'm going to empower you to do things that you never dreamed possible. Freely you have received, freely give. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace or to support this ministry, please visit gracedowntown.org today. This grace is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.